Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, March 11th, we're studying Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34. For the third time in the gospel, Jesus speaks about his upcoming death and resurrection. And for the third time in the gospel, Jesus' disciples plainly fail to grasp what he has said and the implications for their lives within the kingdom of heaven. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor A.J. Espinoza. Pastor Espinoza serves as pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California. He's also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Espinoza, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you for having me, Pastor Apple. And yeah, you know, it's always uh, it's always refreshing to be on with you because you're always in a different part of the Bible, and sometimes you're just you're just you just had enough of apocalyptic literature, and you're just like, I just want to read something out of a gospel. <laughs> so, where, what part of the Bible are you in? in on uh, Thy Strong Word. Yeah, well, so actually, I mean, <clears throat> I know I've really enjoyed this. We've actually just uh, we're almost done now with the book of uh, Zechariah, which is one of these books where, I mean, it is, uh, I think it was Jerome who said it's the longest and most obscure of the minor prophets, which uh, is is probably just uh, pretty much what Christianity has thought of Zechariah for like, you know, at least a millennium and a half now. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, you've got some crazy imagery. There's just, you know, there, there's like horsemen, there's chariots, there's bronze mountains, there's Ladies with stork wings. I mean, it's uh, like buckle your seatbelts, right? You thought that revelation was uh, was graphic. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of stuff in there, but it's a lot of really good stuff that we just we just skip over. And um, it, it's hey, it's it, it's there in the Bible. It's uh, it's focused on in a lot of ways. Joshua the high priest, the son of Jehozadak, not the son of Nun, um, but just all, all that high priest imagery. You talk about you know Hebrews and all the rest. It's like those are words you know, that aren't that aren't anchored down to any kind of you know worldly meaning unless you go and look at stuff like Zechariah. So it's um yeah it's it's really great. It's the foundation for a lot of stuff in the Gospels and Revelation especially. So um, it's been really cool to look at it and see where it's like oh okay. So when they talk about this, so when he's coming into Jerusalem you know, on the donkey and like oh when Revelation talks about the stone with the seven eyes that's what they're talking about yeah yeah we got we got zachariah coming up in matthew tomorrow in chapter 21 when jesus rides into jerusalem you get that quote from, from zachariah chapter 9 i think i think you get a yep. quote from zachariah is it 13 where the 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 shepherd is struck and and matthew quotes that yep. as being fulfilled yep. as well that'll that'll be kind of coming up during the when we get to the passion of our Lord later in, I think it's Matthew chapter 27. Yep. So yeah, some stuff in Zechariah that's going to be applicable here in, in our study of Matthew. Yeah, no, it's, it's total paradox. We uh, like in, in the modern church, we're like, what do you do as Zechariah? Right. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, the only time we really read from it is um, we will read that Zechariah nine passage on, on a Palm Sunday sometimes. Right. But the, as far as the, the apostles were concerned, that was one of their go-to books. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, everybody listening, you know, check out, check out the podcast there. We've got, we've got you know, we're going to have, anyway, 14 episodes just all on Zechariah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a book that we're not familiar with a lot of times, but it's super applicable to everything they read in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So here we are. We're in Matthew chapter 20 here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Espinoza. We're in the, the second half of that chapter. We've, we've seen Jesus in the first half really highlight the theme of salvation by grace 
in the parable concerning that vineyard owner who goes out and hires laborers throughout the day. We, we've seen the matter of that, that salvation's only going to come from God because it's not even going to be accomplished by, by rich people. It's going to only be great difficulty that they're going to get in. The disciples say, well, yeah. who can be saved, right? So, I mean, we've got this theme of, of salvation by grace that's been really big in the previous chapters of Matthew. What, what else do you see in the context here in Matthew that'll help us into this second half of Matthew 20 today? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it is interesting that there is all this talk about money too, right? Like um, money, wealth, power. I mean, you've got all this as the backdrop, right? And and then, you know, we're, we're going to get, you know, what we have today where, you know, there's kind of this idea, you know, still going on of like, you know, money, wealth, power, can we have these places of honor when you come into your kingdom and stuff like this? And it just gets really shot down and contrasted very starkly. You know, this is this is kind of almost like a like a redo or a reprisal of like uh, with, with Peter, right? Where where Peter was like, you know, never, never, Lord, would never let you do this, right? But but then the Lord has to correct him and say, you guys still have the wrong idea about the kind of glory that that I have. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about the triumphal entry. I mean, with that, with that coming up and, um, everything that goes on there with the temple, with all its beautiful stones, right. Um, the gospels tell us, right. The disciples were impressed by there. There's just such a sharp relief in, especially Matthew and, and, and uh, Luke too. Um, but just between wealth and power and worldly glory, and then the kind of mission that the Lord Jesus is on. Right, the the contrast between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven, as as Matthew likes to talk about it, is is going to keep growing and growing. We we see even more starkly the contrast between those two, and I, that's only going to continue here right before Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. That's the text that we've got today. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, Pastor Espinosa. We're in, yeah. we're in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. That is Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 30 for our text for the morning. So Pastor Espinoza, the text that we've got today starts with the third time that Jesus speaks of his death and resurrection to his disciples. And, and this is the most detailed of the three that we get in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus again calls himself the Son of Man, which is that that preferred term that he likes to use for himself. What do you see here in this, this third passion prediction of our Lord? 
Yeah, well, there's there's um, and even before you get to the prediction, you don't want to skip over verse 17, which, um, you know, it seems like one of these verses that that doesn't really add anything, but it's particularly useful, um, when you're trying to like kind of get a sense of where our Lord is in His ministry here, um, you know, it's only really John that gives us much detail about what this was like on the Lord's final approach to Jerusalem, you know, and it's when you when you do that chronology stuff, you 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 kind of build things and you say, okay, it looks like this was like the third year of the Lord's ministry. So we're talking like you know like you know more than two years after his baptism. It seems like um, you know the last time. Just when you look at the Gospels, how many times he goes up for different festivals that were annual. So you figure this stuff out. But you know here he is. Um, you know. Matthew just leaves us with something very simple. Um, he's just on the way up to Jerusalem. He doesn't give us all the detail that John does. You know, it's John who's going to tell us that um, in his last week while he's actually, you know, our Holy Week, right? And he's actually staying in Bethany, and he's just kind of walking into Jerusalem during the day, and then he goes back to Bethany for, for dinner and for a place to to sleep at night. So you get, like, all those details. But Matthew's just really really kind of sparse in the details because he's just very singularly making this contrast. It's like, Hey, look, yeah, look, here we are on the way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's great. You think to yourselves, right. And he just, he just unloads the biggest, the biggest contrast, as you were saying, it's just in the most explicit terms, um, delivered over condemned, mocked and flogged, crucified, raised from the dead. So, it it just really sets up this very, I, I think it's got to be a very alarming contrast for the disciples because it comes out of nowhere. It comes out of left field for them, I think, is the way that Matthew has set this up. Well, again, this is the third time he said this to them, but each time it, it seems that they really just, they don't know what to do with this prediction of the Lord. As you brought up earlier, the very first time in Matthew chapter 16, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, no, no, Jesus, this is not, not going to happen to you. And and they just don't seem to have a concept of son of it's going to ways and much less just seem to, I don't know if go right in their head, they just have no category to fit this in, it seems. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, that's a, that's probably a fair way of putting it, right? Like, because it's really unfortunate because we just often will simplify, oversimplify it and just say like they're dense or something like, why didn't he said it three times now, guys, come on. Um, but, but, but yeah, when you, when you look at it, um, you, you know, you just, just what exactly has he been saying? Right. Like, has he been saying, Hey guys, let me just tell you. So me, the guy you see standing here there, these guys are going to get really mad at me and they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to come back to life. He like he doesn't actually ever come out and put it that plainly. Like back in in chapter sixteen, um, you know, Matthew just kind of narrates it in a general way. From that time on, um, you know, Jesus began to show his disciples. Right. So what exactly he said is is actually unclear. I mean, like clear enough that Peter reacts like, no, that doesn't sound good. But, you know, nebulous on details, uh, almost almost certainly it would have been. And then back in 17, right, like, again, does he say, like, hey, look, me, it's, you know, the Son of Man is going to be delivered. And then again here, the Son of Man is going to be delivered. And so I, I think he is on a certain level being deliberately ambiguous, and I, I think we should stop and remind ourselves that by using this term son of man, the disciples are not actually positive that he's referring to himself. Well, I don't, I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 16, though, Jesus asks them, who do people say the son of man is? And they know he's talking about, I mean, they know they want, that he's looking for answers about himself, right? I mean, they, they tell him they're, well, John, the Baptist, Elijah, etc. And then Jesus even makes the equation for them. Who do you say that I am? So I mean I, I think right. I think they know that Jesus is the Son of Man that he's talking about himself, but I don't I don't think that they've fully they've not allowed Jesus to define that for them. They and and I think this becomes apparent as the as the text continues on. 
they hear the Son of Man, and they're thinking glory, spectacular glory. And Jesus says Son of Man, and at least before the glory has to come the suffering, the death, the crucifixion. He, he, he specifies it's going to be crucifixion here. He's talked about carrying a cross behind him, but I, I think this is right. the first time where he's specifically said, I'm going to be crucified. So, I mean, yeah, I, yeah it's just to, to the point, right? I think they know that he's the son of man, that he's talking about himself, but they don't seem to have filled that term with the same things that Jesus is filling that term with. Well, you know, I, th- I think that that we would we would certainly agree on. I, I really, though, I am really not so certain that they know even what he exactly means by son of man. It, it's a very interesting thing that when you when you look at just the, the kind of the bare term, it, it just kind of means something. I mean, honestly, kind of like um, the human, the the mortal. Um, I mean, I mean, you could even. You look at some different, um, you know, scholars who looked at this. You could, you could even just translate it almost as like somebody, or like, like you know. And so it's really, really striking, like because when when you look at the way that people respond to Jesus when he uses the term, they don't really make a big deal out of like the term. No, no one else is like, we're not going to see the Son of Man coming in. And in glory, that that's that's a misapplication of Daniel's prophecy. Like no one engages with the term. Like nobody. It's not even that they have like a different idea of son of man. It's like they seem to just not have one. So I mean, it is interesting because as you said in, in Matthew twenty, they they, they it's almost the way I almost picture it is they're, they're is they're like, um, okay, he just he just said, um, what do people say of the son of man? Uh, we're all here by ourselves. I think he's talking about himself. Let's let's run with that. I, I mean, it, it, it seems like they're they're kind of grasping at straws every time he says this. Um, and, and and yeah, I think I think you're right that sometimes they almost by deduction are like, okay, he must be talking about himself, right? Yeah, he, yeah, okay, he's talking about himself. But I don't think they're actually totally clear on that every time because you look at the way, especially in chapter twenty, that right after they say this, right, they hear this, right. Um, they're like, hey, we'd like to join you. And Jesus is like, you guys don't understand what you're signing up for. Right. I mean, I, I, I see. And, and I just I, I want to say that they, they know he's talking about himself. But but in either case, they, they don't they don't get the fact that the son of man is the one who's going to suffer before there's any sort of glory for the son of man. I, I think you see that each each time. Jesus gives one of these predictions, their next move is to start talking about glorious stuff or or to prevent the the non-glorious, the suffering stuff, right? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, Jesus is yeah, yeah. Uh, reveals this for the first time. Peter says, No way, Jesus. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus talks about it for the second time. And then Matthew chapter 18, the disciples want to know the very thing that comes up here, this matter of greatness, right? So so each time yep. it, it's like they just haven't again one ear out the other over their heads there's no no compartment for it there's just no this matter of of the suffering of the son of man who yeah. who Jesus you know I mean and I, I keep going back to Matthew 16 with with this one with the son of man you know he has, who do people say the son of man is they give answers none of those are sufficient Jesus says who do who yeah. do you say I am and Peter says you're the you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, so that this human one. Because I think I think you're right about that for sure, especially when you look at the Book of Ezekiel, right? And I, it, that that right. the Son of Man, yep. one who's a Son of Man, is a, is a human one. So so right. this human one, who is Jesus, is also the Son of the Living God. If it, and again, what what exactly they've put together, I'm not sure. But I think Matthew yeah. would invite us the way that he records it to put those two things together: that Jesus is both the Son of Man, truly human, and the Son of God, truly divine. And that this is the one who's going to to suffer, to die, to rise. The disciples just have no place in their minds for this this one Jesus to be the one who's yeah. going to suffer. They just they just don't. They, they keep thinking glory, 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 and Jesus keeps saying no, suffering, death, crucifixion. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm reminded, we, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, but before, you know, before Lent, we have our tradition of looking at transfiguration. And I feel like, you right. know, that, that transfiguration episode is so telling with like the disciples and like where it, it's a real, it's a really, it's an interesting moment where you're kind of getting a little bit of a barometer reading on what their understanding of things is. Because, you know, like, I think it was, now, now I'm like wondering if I'm getting Matthew and Mark mixed up, but I think it was in Matthew that it was clear to them, like, oh, you mean that Elijah stuff? That was, that was John the Baptist, right? And, and that was a gigantic moment, I think, for them because they're like, hang on a second. So if all of that, like, prophecy about Elijah coming again and restoring everything if that was actually like this really mysterious language that somehow meant that John the Baptist was going to come and get his head chopped off, right? Then, then we're in a world where prophecy gets interpreted really a lot more flexibly than we thought it was. So, you know, it's interesting. I think I think it might be in Mark that he's that he says that the disciples were debating amongst themselves. What what did he mean by rising from the dead? See, because I, I think that that's kind of where they're at, where they're just like, they're tr they're honestly trying to grasp this stuff, but they're just like, the pieces aren't <laughs> falling into place no matter how they put it together. And so it's like, okay, he's saying that it's dying and rising, but what, is, what does it really mean to, to die and to rise? And if you're handed over to the, to the scribes and the priests, well, what, 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 what could that refer to, right? I mean, I, I think they're honestly trying to figure out stuff that just does not seem to add up no matter which way you look at it. Right. And I, I, I think that's, we need to be fair to these, to these men, right? I mean, we wouldn't have fared any better in their shoes and, and to their, I mean, to their credit, I suppose they, they're trying, right? Not, not that they, they don't get it right, but they are listening to the Lord and they're engaging yeah. with the Lord, even as they don't yeah. get it. And, and I mean, you know, Jesus will call them little faith ones, but, but they have faith, right? They're still following him. They're still listening to him. Yeah. They're still learning his word. And I think that that is important for us to recognize. You know, no, nobody's yeah. going to, quote, get it until the cross, yeah. where, where the centurion is going to be the one to say, at the moment of Jesus' death, this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. And, and so, you know, the disciples are, are on this side of the cross, and and they're listening to Jesus, and they just they're not putting it together. But but God bless, you know, God bless those disciples, and and thanks be to God for for the patience, the love of of the Lord as He continues to teach and and to engage with them, even with all these misunderstandings that they have. Amen. So let's let's we got about three minutes here on this side of the break, Pastor Espinosa. Let's let's take a look then at, at how the disciples reveal their their under, misunderstanding here. It, the scene changes or, or continues. Matthew says then, right? And and he brings yeah. in maybe someone who's a bit unexpected. It's the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee being James and John. What <laughs> what's up with the mother showing up all of a sudden here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I um. I'm trying to I'm trying to recall, and you, you probably remember us off the top of your head, but like, um, it, it's only here that you had the mention of the mother. It, the parallel right. account actually misses misses that, right? Is that is that Luke right? Or Mark, Mark Mark chapter Mark, Mark chapter ten right? has the has yeah. the sons of Zebedee making the, the mother's absent, but but Matthew talks about yeah. the mother here. So yeah, yeah, so what what's going on? Well, I mean, like I just think it's interesting that you know, for it, it's just fascinating when when the gospels will identify somebody and when they won't, like we were just talking about uh, John at the beginning, like John identifies the woman who was anointing our Lord Jesus in Bethany as, as Mary, right? Like Martha's sister. Um, but Ma Matthew and Mark just say a woman shows up. Right. So it, it is interesting how different figures are kind of, have different kinds of importance or, or pertinence anyway, to like a context. And so, for, for Matthew, at least, for the way that he's thinking about this, it's kind of more important that um, that she is identified as as their mother, um, which I which I think is 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 totally it makes sense with Matthew because Matthew's had a very you know and because you guys have been taking a look at this like has had a very um, consistent emphasis on the commandments and you know you, you got that you know 
what what's Luther say, right? Is like the the chief of that second tablet, right? Honor your father and your mother. Um, I I mean, like if there is anything under the sun, right? That that um that these two brothers could do, that would be like a worthy, like a work of God. It would be honoring their their mother, right? Um, and uh, a mother's request, right? On her on her children's behalf, right? I mean, just we're just talking about. This isn't just like a like a brash like oh we just we're in it for glory, so I, I think that Matthew actually ends up presenting a very sympathetic slant on their request that like the, like we you know we just we just again we're so inclined to give them a hard time and be like what were these guys thinking, but I, I think Matthew is like kind of disengaging that a little bit and saying hey look um, this actually makes a lot of sense like they're they're trying to like serve their parents. They're, they're trying to, like, you know, uh, serve God. They're trying to act on the faith that they've received from their parents. I mean, they're, they're working within the system um, of nature that God has put into place. And even then, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KF. You're looking at the second half of Matthew chapter 20. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Wednesday, March 11th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34 with Pastor A.J. Espinoza, the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, and also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Espinoza, prior to the break, we were talking about the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John's mother here. And and I think one of the one of the points that, that I've seen before that I think is, is important to draw out, is, well, there's two mm-hmm. things I think we should say. One, one is that, and you can't see this as well in the English, but it's there in the Greek. In, in verse 21, Jesus says to her, what do you want? And the you there is singular. But in, yeah. in chapter 22, after the request is actually laid out, and Jesus answers, you do not know what you are asking. Those yous are plural. So, so even mm-hmm. though the mother is here presenting the request, Jesus recognizes that this request still comes from, from James and John themselves. So they're not uh, off the hook, if you will. And I think that that helps us understand what's going on in, in Mark's parallel in chapter 10, that, that Mark just, he's not as concerned with, with mentioning the mother's role because he knows that the request really comes from James and John anyways, just as Jesus recognizes here. But I, I yeah. think, so to, to follow then on that, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee is going to come up again in Matthew's gospel. And she's going to come up yep. again in chapter 27 after Jesus has died. And, and Matthew's going to mention that there were many, many women there. This is, is Matthew 27, verses 55 and 56. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were, and he mentions the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee within this list. Now that, that ministering mm-hmm. to him is the same word in Greek for for serving that Jesus is going to pick up in verse 28, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so I, yeah. I've, I've, I've connected those two in the past as, as Matthew inviting us to reflect upon when it comes to Jesus, who's, who's serving who, right? And he's going to give us the answer here in verse 28, that, that Jesus has come to serve us by giving his life in our place. And, and so maybe that's part of of what Matthew's doing as well in mentioning the mother here in chapter 20. He's, he's kind of um, foreshadowing something coming or, or inviting us when we get to chapter 27. Oh, where, where did we, where did we hear about this, this person before and, and to reflect upon and connect those two accounts? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, that, that's not something that I had um, thought about, but you're right. Like, cause Matthew's the only one who actually spells it out that the mother of Zebedee was there at the tomb. Um, 
so so again, she's significant for Matthew in a way that's not necessarily significant um, for the rest of them. What, what what strikes me though, as I was listening to you, is that especially when you mentioned like it is used singular there in the Greek when he says like what do you want, right? And uh, you know I've heard all kinds of things on that. Like I remember one time someone was saying like I heard someone say. Uh, Oh yeah, you know, look look at look at uh, you know, uh, these these two guys are hiding behind mom. They're like, "Here, like, here mom, you, you you go ask him. He won't say no to you." <laughs> like like they put their mom up to it or something. I don't I don't think that that's um that's too realistic considering the cultural background that we have here. But uh, as I was listening to what you were saying, it, it's really weird because um it actually creates a really interesting parallel with John. And and people like they don't look or maybe even take seriously the parallels between the synoptic gospels and john but you know what do you have in john like it, you know at the wedding in cana right what's our lord say to his mother his own mother right like hey wh- wh- what's what's this uh to you and me or like like what what do we have to do with this right um and then of course um at the foot of the cross what, what does he what does he say right you know um, when he speaks to John like you know it's like woman behold your sons um, behold your mother right I mean so there's this really weird thing that happens in both gospels where like uh, at a, at first blush it looks like we are going against the family ethic right where we're like you know like hey mom like this is uh there's more going on here than just a, a mother on relationship, right? Like the kingdom of heaven is bigger than just our normal family bonds. And you see that throughout, right? Like in the different uh, episodes of teaching, whether it's like, you know, let the dead bury their own dead or, um, you know, whoever would follow me must like hate his own father and mother and the rest. I mean, so there seems to be like a push, like kind of against traditional values and even family values. But then in the end, they're, they're embraced and transformed, Right. And so it's, I think you're right. That it is significant then that like the same mother in John. Right. Or the same mother um, here, mother of Zebedee in Matthew ends up having this kind of uh, I don't, kind of redemption, actually. Um, so, so, it, so it is just interesting. It's like because the son of man gives his life as a ransom for many to to serve because that happens, the traditional family values that we have are not destroyed, neither are they left the same, however, but they are transformed so that now they, in turn, also serve the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, and that's, and that's just a really big point that I don't think we, we maybe appreciate enough fully in 21st century Western culture that we are willing often to side with traditional mores um, I, don't know, I don't know, a little bit uncritically, but I think I think the Christian perspective says traditional values are good to an extent if they will be transformed at the feet of the cross. Right, right. I'm I'm reminded of I think it's it's in Matthew, it's chapter twelve, where Jesus is his his mother and his brothers are looking for him, and, and yep. he you know he he points to his disciples, those sitting around him, learning. From from him is these are my mother my brothers my sisters right here yep. and and that transformation that happens is 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 spectacular so pastor espinoza let's 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 make sure we we deal here with with what's going on in matthew 22 as well so so we've got the mother of the sons of zebedee she comes she kneels before jesus says i want to ask you for yep. something jesus wisely says what do you want before he says yes or no right this is good 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 practice to find out what someone <laughs> wants before you agree to do it right? so yeah, unlike and so Harry, she right? she says right exactly exactly unlike Herod. that's right matthew chapter 14 so she she presents the request i want these two sons of mine to sit one at your right one at your left in your kingdom what i mean what what is what is this request what's she asking for I mean, I, I, really, I really do think that, like, Matthew is presenting all this sympathetically. I mean, I think Matthew presents Judas sympathetically. And I think, intriguingly, I think Matthew presents him more in, um, sympathetically than any of the Gospels, actually. Um, I think that Matthew probably, as a, you know, ex-tax collector, has a lot of sympathy. Um, and, and, I, and I think that, yeah, this is like a mother trying to do right. I mean, like... You know, we as parents, we want the best for our children, and we try to bless them. And you and I were talking about it before we uh, 
before we started today, like, you know, we just, we want our, we want our children to be better Christians than we were when we were their age. Right. I mean, we, we want to take the things that God has shown us and grown in us in our life, like the hard lessons that we learned because we chose to learn them the hard way. Right. And, and we, and we strive to take that and to give it to our children. I mean, this is like the living out of the talents, right? Like, we're not trying to just dig the one talent a hole and hide it. We're, we're, we got the five and we're trying to, we're trying to get a return on the investment, right? We want to see some growth. And so I think she's sincerely like in, in a very pious way. I don't think it's for show or that. I don't even think there's subterfuge here. I think she just, she wants, she thinks her, her sons are, are devout. I think she thinks they're pious. I think she thinks that she, that they're honestly up for the task. Um, and and that they would be blessed um, to do it. And so I, I think I think she's just going forward with the knowledge that she has. But as we've been saying, neither she nor her sons really have the complete picture, and they don't they don't really know what they're asking for, as well intentioned as they may be. Yeah, and Jesus even even says as much. You don't know what you're asking, right? In in his response. Right. So and and in right. and in that he asks. And here's where where the mother, it seems, is left behind in the scene, and it, now it's Jesus interacting with James and John. He yeah. says, are you, James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? What's this cup that Jesus is talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, this is the same cup that's going on in Gethsemane, right? Like, you know, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. This is the same cup that kept appearing in Isaiah. Um, this is the cup that's uh, in Obadiah. This cup keeps appearing, and... Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's no accident. Um, the you know the Lord calls it at the at the Lord's Supper. He calls it the the fruit of the vine, right? Drink of the fruit of the vine. Um, gr- grapes, right, are seen as producing wine, not as like a this is something you can artificially do to them, but that this is like as natural as when you cut me, I bleed. When you crush the grapes, they bleed wine. In fact, the Old Testament uses that imagery that the blood of grapes is wine. And along with this, just this uh, very rich imagery of, of blood, there is a connection of grapes and wine, therefore being connected to blood letting and wrath. Um, and, and so there's this, just the, the imagery is just kind of compound, right? And it, it even gets connected to, um, intoxication and so like it just kind of all these images kind of swirl together and it's like this big intoxicated bloody mess when this cup shows up because god pours it out and people are facing condemnation and judgment and as, as a part amidst the destruction they're experiencing they're also in a stupor so i mean this is um this is this is the cup this is the cup that the prophets kept warning about the cup that was supposed to get poured out on the enemies of god like babylon and persia right? The Assyrians. And here is the cup and Jesus is going to drain it. Yeah. The cup of God's wrath, Jesus will drain in our place, which again becomes apparent as he he moves toward the end of the text where he talks about very specifically how the son of man is going to serve the the world. So Jesus says, he asks, can you guys drink this? And and they say, I've always pictured sort of and I, this is one of those spots where I wish you could hear their their tone of voice. You know, is is this a yes? We are able, or sure, we could we could do that, Jesus. Like, is is there hesitation? I I think they probably don't understand what they're saying when no. when they say that that sure we we can we can do this, Jesus. And and then Jesus says, wow. well, yeah, you will drink it. But this matter of my right hand, my left hand, that's that's not mine to grant. It's it's for those yeah. for whom it's been prepared by my father. Take us into Jesus' words there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's um to, to your point, like you know, I mean, he's responding to their word initially, because it is actually just one word they say to him. And uh it's interesting. They just say, uh it's it's sort of like we will, we do. I mean, it's just it's just the one word like dynamita and um, it reminds me, honestly, of what we ask our um, sometimes like our like, you know, <laughs> like eighth graders when they're doing confirmation. And we say, like, would you rather uh, stick with this faith and stand up for the name of Jesus and rather face death than fall away from it? And then they just are supposed to answer like, yeah, 
We, yeah, I do. Um, and, and we do the same thing with, uh, even in like baptisms and, uh, ordination vows. Right. And you just say these one or two little words. We will, we, I do. And it's just, um, wow. Do we do, do any of us know what exactly we're signing up for? Um, not, not, not really, not entirely. Um, so yeah, it is interesting that when he, when they, when they say that, right. Um, he does not actually debate that they're able, right. And and they and they don't say it with bravado. They don't say, well, we. I mean, there's no like um, emphasized pronoun there. Like, well, we can. Don't know about these other peons that you've called to be your disciples. No, they don't say that. It's just like we we are. Yes. Um. And he doesn't he doesn't bat that down. He doesn't. He, and in fact, he says, not only are you able, but you're going to. I mean, just I mean, wow. But but then he says what he says, which is that it's not mine to grant. Though this bit about you sitting on my right or my left. I mean, this is. This is one of these uh, statements of the humiliation, like where the Lord says, like, you know, even that hour, the son of man does not know only the father in heaven. Right. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's just something that uh, Jesus just shows the servant's heart. Speaking of serving, as we were just a moment ago. Um, yeah, he's he is sympathetic. He does not like just swat them down and take them down a notch, or take them down a peg. Right. He He just responds in all humility. You guys, none of you really know what's going on. And in fact, to a certain extent, not even I um, really uh, am fully able to divulge these things or grant these sorts of things. Right. Yeah. The, you will drink my cup, right? You, you, James and John, you will suffer along with me for, for the sake of, of the truth. But this matter of, yeah. of sitting at right and left, this is this is not mine to give; it's the Father's to give. Who and Pastor Espinosa, this I don't know that I don't know that the Scripture reveals this precisely, but I've, I've got a, a thought: who who does the Father grant to sit at Jesus' right and Jesus' left when he when he comes in His kingdom? Any thoughts on that? Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I hadn't I ha I hadn't necessarily thought that there there was a I mean, you know, th it's funny because when you, you talk about right and left, um, like of the son of man, I mean, especially coming in the, in the kingdom, right? I mean, that's sort of what happened at the transfiguration that there, I mean, like right, the chapter right before the transfiguration, he says like, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of heaven um, in its glory, right? So they, they're seeing that is the, is the suggestion in, in Matthew that when well, in Mark two, I think um, that that's, that's what they're beholding. And uh, who's at his right and his left, it's Moses and Elijah. Um, you know, so, I mean, the, I mean, I, I guess that's the kind of first thing that my mind goes to, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. As far as like uh, the Lord's statement here, I wasn't taking it necessarily as like, well, because those seats are already saved for somebody else, but I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you have uh, what other connections are you well, thinking of? So so my my thinking again, and this is this is going along with the same thing when it comes to the the mother of the sons of Zebedee, where she shows up later after Jesus has died. I mean, coming up here in Matthew chapter twenty seven, we're going to hear about Jesus being labeled a king on the cross, right? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and and he's got somebody on his right, and he's got somebody on his left, and it's not yeah, yeah. what James and John were thinking. And and so I I, I wonder yeah. if if this is. You know, I mean, again, that that sort of pointing forward in an unexpected, hidden way, where is Jesus going to come into his kingdom? It's certainly the transfiguration foreshadows it in glory, but but Jesus comes as as king who who sits on a throne, who wears a, the throne that's the cross, who who wears the crown not of gold, but of thorns, and who's on his right and yeah. left, not James and John, but two thieves. And seeing the kingdom coming through right. the suffering in that hidden way, I, I wonder if we've got a, an echo or... A, not an echo, I suppose. Um, it's whatever comes before the but, echo. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, well, I mean, yeah, but no, it's 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 a it's certainly a foil of of the transfiguration, right? When he's up there on a different mount for all to right. see, um, you know, with the with the with the label above his head, King of the Jews, right? With with one on his left and one on his right, um, not Moses and Elijah, but you know, if you go by the traditional names, um, Gestus and Dismas. Um, I mean, I think that certainly there's there's a there's a, an irony that's that's there, right? I mean, right. the the dif the difficulty. I mean, you can't like press that like too much, just because like is um well, I mean, it's it's a couple of different things. Like one is like, are they are they really sitting right? And because the, the sitting standing things are pretty gigantic distinction, 
in in the Hebrew mindset. And so it's it's actually very significant that they're all there um, naked, hung on trees. So mm-hmm. like there, there's that. But I think maybe the thing that stands out in my mind the bigger is that there's the guy on his left, at least as tradition says, who um, seems to be pretty – uh, intent on rejecting the kingdom of heaven, you know? And so there's, there's, um, I, I do agree though, that it, it's a foil where it's sort of like, Hey, like you, you thought it was all going to be glory. It's going to look more like this, <laughs> right? This is actually what the kingdom of heaven looks like on this side of the resurrection, uh, in the sense of kind of like, uh, you know, Hey, this is get, get the right idea. Um, but, but yeah, of course it's, it's only the thief on the right who actually is going to be with Jesus. Pastor Espinosa, we got we got like seven and a half minutes left on the morning because it's been a great conversation. But I do want to make sure that that we hit what <laughs> Jesus says when it when it comes to what greatness is like in the kingdom of heaven. Because the yeah. disciples, the other ten, are going to hear this or over learn of this conversation, and they're going to be mad that that James and John started asking for these positions before they did. And, and I also want to make yeah. sure we have a little bit of time to, to talk about the two blind men, because I think there's a great contrast right? that you yeah. pointed out <laughs> between these two disciples who don't seem to get it and don't maybe two disciples who don't see and two blind men yeah. who do. So, so give us, give us a little bit on, on Jesus answer, particularly verse 28 is very significant in Matthew's gospel about the matter of Jesus not being served, but serving before we go into those yeah. two blind men. Yeah, well, I think that you really, uh, I mean, already hit the nail on the head when it comes to, I mean, you made the comparison with their mother, right? And how you, you see this um, this transformation, how, you know, even the, the role of like, you know, motherhood, parenthood, right, ends up becoming subservient to the kingdom of heaven through the service that's done by the Lord Jesus, right? Who by all rights is above everyone from a natural perspective, since he's the creator, that he makes himself the least. So, I mean, like it, it just very much is that poignant reversal um, that that is fully expressed, most fully expressed on this side of the resurrection in self-sacrifice, in self-denial, um, in, in, yes, in, like, in actually giving yourself up to death for the sake of life for others. And, um, yeah, I mean, like that just that just really just kind of puts the cap on on this note here that the, that's what the kingdom of heaven is doing here. It's the the business of the killing and making alive. It's it's not the business of a drink having a banquet of wine like you know a feasting in fine houses with fine clothes, right? Like our Lord was contrasting when it came to John the Baptist, but drinking a cup of wrath instead, and and drinking one that's not even rightfully earned, but drinking one so that others would be spared. So it's, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a very poignant reversal. It's one that's particularly, um, helpful for pastors to have before them, right? Like that, yeah, we're, we're called pastors, overseers, right? But what, what, what does that kind of leadership look like? Not that it negates it. Um, it's, it's still a leadership role. Like, you know, it's not be, be, uh, wrong about that. Like it's still an office, but, um, it, it's one of self-sacrifice, certainly. Right, and and one that is fulfilled fully and and for us sinners in the Son of Man. The the and and that's uh, verse twenty eight really is just sums this up so well because it shows us who does this, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It it is Christ, and the reason he's the greatest right. in the kingdom of heaven is not because he put himself over everybody, but he came as a servant, and he he did right. that in giving his life as a ransom for, for us sinners. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that is what really ties this text together and, and holds it all together. So we've got four minutes here, Pastor Espinoza. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I want to make sure we get to talk a little about these two, two blind men that, that come to Jesus yeah. with, with these last four minutes. It, it does seem that there's a bit of a contrast uh, here between the two disciples who don't see and these two blind men who do. Take us, take us into that text. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you just set us up nicely, the, the, who who don't see and who do see, right? Uh, yeah, sight, like we do in English, is a very common metaphor for understanding, right? And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just really something that, you know, here they are, these blind guys, and um, they can't see Jesus, but yet they call him the son of David, uh, which, which, of course, didn't just mean, um, oh, we, we suspect that you're of the tribe of Judah or something, <laughs> um, like we can tell by your accent or something like this. 
Um, that wouldn't have actually done any good because um, it seems that the Lord would have had a Galilean accent and that would have probably thrown them off the mark, right? So no, it, it's um, they're 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 just seeing by the eyes of faith here. They're saying when they say son of David, this is a title for king, the heir of David, um, the the new David, David uh, 2.0, and this is what they're going to say in chapter 21. Hosanna, the son of David. It's, it means king, uh, who's going to you know take over here. And here they are, and they they get this somehow, even though they're blind, which is you know doubly interesting because from that Hebrew perspective, they would have been blind because of their sin, right? And so uh, why why would they have any kind of spiritual insight, right? And that's exactly why they're being rebuked, right? Like, what do you guys do? Like, don't don't talk to him. You don't you don't deserve his attention, right? God's punishing you for all the bad stuff you've done. Um, but then when he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, this is something, right? Um, he's, it's the same question he asked, uh, you know, the mother earlier, but now he's asking them. And this time when they make their request, he just does it and they follow him. So now we've got someone who's asking for the right thing, right? Um, not that, again, not that uh, their mother or that the two disciples were just, you know, being ridiculous or just bombastic or something, but that these two ironically see they are just beggars before God, and they are rightly asking for, can you just give us this day our daily bread? Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of of the, the previous conversation concerning greatness in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus gives that long discourse, and he uses as his object lesson in the midst of the disciples there a child, right? One who is who is dependent, yeah. one who is in need, one who must have things given to him. And and here you have two blind men who who recognize when when Jesus comes with this same question, what do you want me to do? They don't, they're not looking for glory or for for spots of of uh, leadership. They're they're saying, Jesus, we need from you. We need your mercy. We need you to make us able to see. And and he does. He he has this compassion upon them and and gives them. Yeah. It's it's just a, a spectacular picture here, right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And, and as you as you hmm. said, yeah. he's about to be confirmed as the son of David on Palm Sunday. This is what yeah. what they call him here. And notice. Previous times, Jesus has told people, don't say anything about this. This time it's the That's crowds right. who say, be quiet. Jesus, let it's time for the acclamation to, to happen. He's, he's come to where he yep. is. Pastor Espinosa, we got like 30 seconds here to, to wrap things up for us this morning. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, and then it's very interesting in chapter 21, he sends two disciples and doesn't name them, but is he sending the two uh, disciples who are arguing about positions of greatness, or does he send the two that um, have just been healed of their blindness? And that's why they can actually go find a donkey, right? Um, unclear, but kind of either way, right? It's just uh, the whole chapter is just about do we do we see, do we understand? Clearly, the disciples don't have the whole picture. Neither do we. Do they know what they're signing up for? Do we know what we're signing up for? Um, but as you were saying and focusing us on in the midst of all of that, we know what Christ has done for us. And when that becomes the ruling ethic, everything else is transformed, and we somehow, by God's grace, end up looking a little bit more like Jesus, even though we don't even fully understand it. Yeah, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the key to the kingdom of God. Pastor A.J. Espinoza is our guest this morning, the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Irvine, California, also the host of Thy Strong Word here on Worldwide KFO, 11 a.m. Central Time, weekday morning. Give him a listen. Pastor Espinoza, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Pastor Apple. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.